No, but I think at a certain stage it becomes less about skill and it's more about being open. Open? Yeah, to, to the world, to yourself, to other people. You know, most of the incredible things I've eaten haven't been because the skill level is exceptionally high or there's loads of mad, fancy techniques. It's because it's been really inspired. Huh? I like that. You can spend all the time in the world in here, but if you don't spend enough time out there, right. you know? Helps have good people around you too. Welcome to the Eat Your Content Podcast. I'm your host, Rich Herrera. Thank you for joining us on our little pod today. Uh, you have a lot of pods to choose from, but you chose mine, so I appreciate that. So uh, a couple of reminders. I want you to follow me on socials, uh, at Rich Herrera on Instagram and on Facebook, also on Threads and TikTok. So I'm, I'm expanding my social media horizons, uh, so make sure you give me a follow on there. A couple of programming reminders. We're going to continue our episodic recaps of The Bear um, as close to weekly as we can, you know, but we all have day jobs here, so uh, make sure you follow on your podcast player of choice so you'll be notified hit that like and follow button so you'll be notified of when we drop these episodes uh, i want to welcome back chef damien mark del piso chef and owner of Vuca italian street food here in jacks uh, here to discuss episodes four through six of the bear season two uh, so damien welcome back to the pod thanks thanks for having me back i'm looking forward to talking about these next three yeah, these next three are going to be great. So I, I do have an initial question for you. Are you like this because you're in Van Halen? Or are you in Van Halen because you're like this? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good line. I love that. That's yeah, such a it's rich such a- ingredient. Yeah, such a richy, such a richy line. So I was like, I'm still trying to figure out, okay, what does that really mean? But we'll we'll talk about that. So we pick up right on episode four, and what I like about season two, just in general, is, you know, the first season was really, and it had to be, you know, Carmi, Richie centric a little bit because he had to establish the family and the characters and everything. But what I like with season two is that it's expanding, right? Carmi was. Uh, barely in this episode he's barely in in all the episodes um there's a a few of them obviously season or episode six we're going to talk about and probably spend the most time on today um but episode four honeydew directed by rami youssef written by stacy uh osei kufor i think i'm pronouncing that right um is really a marcus centric episode and really expounded on his life and and his passion of wanting to become just the best pastry chef known to planet earth um what do you think about season two expanding on these characters arcs i think it's great i love when series in general do this when they take you know, they kind of have those like special episodes that either go back in time or do something different i think it's super cool i think it breaks up i mean not the monotony but i i, I think it kind of makes it a a little more exciting for the viewer when they do that yeah, and it and it really gives you more to invest in, right? With all we knew about Marcus is he he got inspired by Carmine season one and um, worked uh, hard on his own to to become a good pastry chef. But this one really focuses in on him. Um, I do like the opening scene though. We were just talking about Carm's barely in this episode. So he was in the, in here for the very beginning, uh, where Carm and Sugar are talking about uh, you know Sugar being pregnant and everything. And as soon as she says, "Don't tell anybody," the wall falls. And it was just a great comedic bit uh, oh, yeah. there at the opening. And then Richie's like, "I effing knew it." <laughs> it was so funny. What um, what do you think of that? That scene and 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 as it relates to uh you know being a comedy i think it was great i mean and, and you know it's it's one of those things where everyone uh 
I think kind of had a sense. I think you kind of tell watching the episode, she was, you know, Sugar was acting different. So it, it was definitely like the, uh, you know, kind of the climax of that. Everyone knew what was going on. So it was, it was definitely cool. It was funny to watch. So you need those comic relief moments in a show like this because it's such serious matter. So it's nice to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, I always found it interesting. Like when when they're nominated for Emmys, they they won an Emmy last year. They're nominated this year in the in the comedic category. Um, and I was thinking that's weird because this is a very dramatic show. And I and I think I get why they're nominated in that category because you know thirty minutes long, and they just kind of slot those those shows those length of shows into the comedic category. But you know, you throw in a, a comedic moment like this one, and and you kind of see, yeah, this can be a, a funny show. And uh, this this opening scene uh, showed that there. Um, so there were a few other breaks uh, before we get into Marcus uh, stodging in Copenhagen, where um, a couple of different breaks in this episode. Sid is interviewing different chefs, which I thought was was funny. Uh, you know, you probably have some relatability to that as you interview people. I'm, I mean, I don't know. You run a food truck. You, you run it mainly yourself, but I'm sure you have to interview help and uh, when when you need some. So did, did you identify with Sid and, and trying to find help in the restaurant industry can be difficult? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, even before the business, you know, I had to do that for restaurants I worked at. You know, I had to kind of go out there and um, even as a sous chef, I interviewed. And, um, you know, you would definitely get some interesting people. You know, the, the resumes are, uh, you know, things like I like to cook and that's it. I'm like, OK, <laughs> let's, let's let's give it a shot. You know, like like I think we kind of touched on last week. You can find some diamonds in the rough, but you really have to find somebody that's um, that's trainable, you know, and that's willing to listen, willing to learn. And you, you know, if, if you, there's certain things you can't teach in this profession. Like I don't, I strongly believe that you can't teach hustle. You can't teach speed, but if you find somebody that can, that can do those things and work organized and clean and can learn from you, you can create somebody, you can create a, you know, uh, an employee that could potentially be, you know, somebody that can replace you, which is what you want. You want to have somebody that you groom to be your successor. And when you do that, you know, you, you make the restaurant better. So. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought the interviewing scenes as quick as it was, it was pretty interesting when she was like, I need somebody with a hundred percent availability. And the first one was like, yeah, I can do every day, but Friday. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> so we, we pick up Marcus is sent to Copenhagen and they, they touched on this in the last episode where this was really Sid's idea uh, to send Marcus to Stodge in Copenhagen. And um, Carmi sets him up at, uh, with a friend, uh, Luca over uh, in, in Copenhagen. And I was really shocked. It was Will Poulter. Like when I first started watching it, I was like, is that the same kid from We're the Millers? <laughs> Adam Warlock. Yeah, it was Adam Warlock. I was like fresh, fresh for Marvel because he was still looking pretty jacked. But uh, I was like, man, the, the glow up on the We're the Millers nerdy kid is is real on this one. But uh, I really liked Will Poulter's character. He, I thought initially that he would kind of be jerky like kind of be a jerk but he wasn't yeah. um and he really took marcus under his wing and he really looked apart in terms of how he moved in the kitchen and um the way he was plating the desserts and training um training marcus on how to do certain things like cut a canal and 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 that sort of stuff so um overall what did you think of will polter's character what did you think of luca um and, and will polter in general playing him i thought it was great but um I think I had read before that he begged to be on the show, which was pretty funny. So like he, he's like, I guess he was a super fan of the first season and he begged to be on the show, which, which is awesome that he's on it. But I think he was great. I mean, he, he definitely embodied, you know, the, the kind of chef that I like just straight to the point, 
no nonsense. You know, we're not talking, we're not messing around. This is what needs to be done, but he's still teaching. He's not being a jerk. Like you said, he's still very much showing you and teaching you, but being very blunt and like, you know, not babying Marcus, which is what you know, you shouldn't do. He, he's, he's giving him a chance to do it. He's saying, this is how you do it. You know, let's do it the way that I show you. And you know, there you go. Plain and simple. Yeah, and he passes on, along some really good life lessons to Marcus, you know, and, and when he was plating that one dessert and he kept messing up and, and he Lucas says, be confident, don't second guess yourself. And then later on when they're having the kind of that one-on-one conversation while they're cutting dough and um, he says, at, you know, at a certain level it becomes less about skill and more about being open, open to the world, to yourself, to other people. Most of the incredible things I've eaten haven't been because of the skill levels ex- exceptionally high or there's a, a load of mad fancy techniques it's because it's been really inspired. You can spend all the time in the world in here, but if you don't spend enough time out there, uh, then you're nothing. It, it helps to have good people around too. So I thought that was a really great quote. Um and a good thing for him to understand, because one thing that we saw in the first season, I think it was in the first season, Marcus was actually sleeping in the kitchen. Uh, yeah. Not that he was homeless, but that he he said, I want to get here early and I want to start. And Luke is telling him, no, you got to get out. You know, you got to get out. You got to step away from this um, and and be open to those things. So what did you think of their relationship as that uh, episode progressed and as they got to know each other a little bit? I think it was great. I mean, I love what he said in that regard in terms of, you know, get out there because I think he kind of touched on it when he was talking about, you know, just the, the artisan, you know, like the bread baker or the, uh, the butcher, you, those people that, you know, they may not be the, you know, the Michelin star chef, but they're the lifeblood of what we do. I mean, to those family businesses, those, the, the people that dedicate themselves to one thing and do it really well. I mean, that's what something I appreciate. And, um, I think, I think that's kind of what he was getting at in the, in, in terms of, Hey, you know, you need to see what's, what's out there and the amazing people and products, but also, you know, live your life. You know, you're not a, you're not a robot, you know, you, 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 we want you to, to be great in the kitchen, but you know, you can learn from other places and other people, you know, and other people too. Yeah. And I did see there's a, a, another funny moment where, uh, Luca asked Marcus, like, do you know how to make Shizo Chalet? And he's like, yeah, of course I do. And then the next scene, how to make what the f is dextrose? And then you know, Luca calls him and calls him out. And says like, here's the recipe. Let's go. We call that uh, Google Chef. Google Chef. Yeah, I've worked in kitchens where uh, you know I I used to get crap for that. Yeah, I bust my phone out real quick to look something up, and I I used to get called Google Chef. I was like, hey, I want to I want to triple check something. Even if it's something like a measure, I want to look at it, make sure it's right. You know, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to have all that committed to memory. Like for me, especially, the older I get, the more I'm realizing I'm offloading my memory to the cloud. Right, so I'm I'm depending way more on on iCloud notes and Notepad and things like that. And so, you know, it was it was an interesting moment. And you know, he didn't get embarrassed. He didn't, or Luca didn't embarrass him. And he's like, look, here's the recipe. Let's do it. So it was really interesting to to watch him make that dessert. And and my wife was watching it. And when they had the final the the final thing and he's like what's it taste like it's like like a minty snickers bar and my wife's like that sounds disgusting yeah. <laughs> i was like minty snickers bar that actually doesn't sound too bad and then she's like oh they did all that just for that little green thing i was like man you're talking about three mission star restaurants where there's 15 steps before you get to the final thing on the plate yeah and pastry pastry chefs are a whole nother animal i mean like even at cia like it's 
it's almost like everyone baking a pastry was on a different floor. You didn't see those people. So it's like, they're up here, we're down here. You know, we're the ones that want to play with fire. They're the ones that want to play with, uh, you know, with doughs and, um, you know, and sugar and can and chocolate. And <laughs> we love that stuff too. But, you know, you ask, you ask a chef, a savory chef, what they're, you know, what about their dessert repertoire. I mean, they'll pull a few out. But, um, you know, we, I've always had a ton of respect for those people to, to be so disciplined in what they do, because a lot of that stuff is really difficult, you know, in terms of, um, you know, you're, you're playing with xanthan gum and, um, you know, pulled sugar. And it's it's a lot of uh, Willy Wonka stuff. But, you know, you know, I dabbled in it a little bit. But, um, you know, to the level that a lot of them do it, it's pretty crazy because it's you're it's the scientists. You know, you, you can't you can't cook that. You can cook off the cuff in a kitchen, you know, with savory, but when you're, when you're baking pastry and, and candy making and those things, yeah, you can't, uh, <laughs> you can't fudge numbers. You can't just guess because it'll never work. Yeah. The pastry pastry chefs are the bad scientists of the kitchen because you're exactly right. You got to deal with exact measurements and, and you can't screw around. So, um, watching how exacting it was in this episode, I thought was, I mean, I'm not a pastry chef, but I know a few, and um, it seemed real, real, really realistic in terms of all the things that they were doing, and and was really interesting to watch. Uh, we learned a little bit about Luca in this episode, a little bit about Marcus too, that he was a, a football star in college, and you know didn't really have anything after that, but uh, and then came on the beef, and and Michael brought him on, and then we learned a little bit about Luca, uh, where he talks about an unnamed chef that he thought of as competition and was trying to be better than him and then realized he couldn't. Uh, but the next, the best thing that he think he could have done was attach himself to that person's hip. And he became a better chef uh, for it instead of trying to beat his competition, just learning from his competition and, and, and being with that person um, as much as they could. And the first time I watched this episode, I didn't know who he was talking about. Did you, did you, think it was Carmi or did you think it was like, Oh, this is just a story. I mean, I had an idea. That's who it was. I mean, I'm not going to say for sure. I knew, I mean, there were still some, some questions in my mind that that's what it was referring to, but it made the most sense that it was Carmi. Yeah. Yeah. So it was talking about Carmi. And one thing that was interesting is when Luca described not having to, to beat Carmi, so to speak in, a, in, in skills, but to attach himself to it, it was very freeing for him because then he didn't have to worry about being the best. He just wanted to be the best for him, but he didn't have to be the best. He wasn't obsessed. And, and hence that quote earlier, we talked about, you know, be open. Um, because if you, if you drive yourself to obsession, it becomes unhealthy. Um, and I think that's where we see kind of Carmi and Luca, of being two sides of the same coin is, is Luke is kind of the antithesis of Carmi's approach to food and um, Carmi's obsessed and he's obsessed with perfection. And, and Luca is more, more free to be open to other things. And, and, and as we see with Carmi, he's, he's just not at this point in his life. So I just thought that was really interesting to watch. Um, overall, I thought it was a really nice change of pace from the other episodes. Uh, it was very peaceful and calm versus frenetic. Um, e even my wife, cause she, she liked, the show but she thought the uh, all the scenes of them kind of yelling at each other in the kitchen and all that was was very like jaw clenching so this was like very calm and very nice and relaxing to watch so i thought it was a really really uh, a, a good change of pace there what are your thoughts on episode four overall i think it's it actually is is brilliant because it it explains the relationship of the savory and and uh sweet in a restaurant because 
those people are separate. You know, the garmage, the pastry is separate from the craziness of the line always. So you have this different dynamic of like, okay, well, you know, we, we knew who the pastry chefs were. We knew they were off to the side, you know, even at the places where I worked at a tasting menu, you go, you know, you go through, you know, all these courses until you get to the end. So they're tasked with finishing the meal. These people are, you know, responsible for the, you know, you know, the crescendo, the end, everything's done, you know, when, when they do the the sweet part of it, but it just made me kind of giggle. Cause that's really the dynamic. It's almost like they have a, a pressure, but it's a different pressure than we have. It's not like, you know, it's not line cooks and screaming and yelling. It's, it's okay. I got to make this beautiful dessert. I need six desserts for the six top. They all need to be beautiful. And, you know, it's like, you, you, they're almost, they're allowed to work at a different pace, but there's an expectation involved. Like you cannot screw up the finale, you know, the finality of this meal, you know, it's everyone is going to get, you know, a beautiful dessert and it's going to be the last thing they remember. And hopefully, you know, it's a good memory. So I, I thought that was a cool little uh, relationship there. Yeah. That's a neat point you bring up to where Marcus is kind of up and separated from the rest of the crew on the other side of the world. And whereas in the kitchen, it's the same way he's there. He's kind of separated from the rest of the, the line yeah. uh, off in his own little cubby. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I like that. I like that. So episode five entitled pop directed by Joanna Callow written by Sophia Levitsky whites. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I know I'm screwing this up. Uh, so this one, uh, I, I, one of the first scenes that we see is, um, Tina, she's going to culinary school and she's like, Hey, I need a knife. And Carmi points her to the knife and he's like, wait, that's your knife. And he goes, it's your knife now, chef. And I thought that was a really good full circle moment because, you know, in the first season they were kind of hazing him a little bit. And that was his, that was a nice knife. I mean, it's a nice yeah. knife, <laughs> beautiful knife. And in the first season, first episode, he's like, where's my knife? And nobody's answering him. And he finds it like under the stove. I mean, I would kill somebody if they took my yeah. really nice knife like that and just like chucked it on the floor and kicked it under the stove as, as some sort of hazing ritual. Um, so I, I thought it was a really neat full circle moment that Tina is being bequeathed this, this, uh, this knife from Carmi, and it's like this is your knife now. You've you've earned it. Uh, you're the Sioux now, and uh, this is the the type of equipment that you need to to work on. Did you kind of make that connection there? What did you think of that scene? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's her rite of passage. I mean, when when you get that when you get that you know that big first knife or that really nice knife, or even better when when your chef gives it to you. You know, you hold on to that thing. I mean, that's your, you know, it's a sense of pride. You know, uh, it's it's kind of like when they talk about, uh, you know, in um, what's the movie is uh, talking about my rifle. My rifle is my right. You know, it's my right hand. Well, the, your your knife is your, you know, it's it's everything. And that's why you, you it, it ultimately it comes down to respect. You know, you respect you, you never touch someone else's knife. Um but it also teaches you discipline. It teaches you to keep your knife sharp and to keep your knife, you know, ready for, you know, to, to be used and to prep and to do things with. And, and it's, you know, it's a tool of the trade, you, you know, as chefs, you need the proper tools to do your job. You can't, you can't just show up with your bare hands. You know, you have to do, you know, you have to use certain tools. You know, we, we know what these things are. We all have cooked before, you know, but you, the knife is the, uh, the penultimate, you know, tool, you know, that you have to use in the kitchen. So, you know, it, it was definitely, a they did a good job with that because it's, it's a respect thing. And he's basically saying, you know, I respect you in my kitchen and I'm glad you're with me. And, and I'm going to give you this knife as a show of my trust in you to do your job. So. 
Yeah, and you see her killing it in in culinary school. They show her filleting a fish, perfectly carving up a fish, and, and properly. And the instructor there is like, "Nice job, chef." And and Tina's taking a lot of pride and and beaming with pride in that scene. And on the flip side of that, you see Ibra kind of, you know, in his own scene, staring off into the middle distance and thinking really long and hard. This is this what I want? There's so much change. I don't know. And Tina's like, "You know, where are you? What are you doing?" And so you kind of see the the parting of, of ways with with Tina embracing this change and Ibra kind of being resistant to it. Um, you know, it's interesting where it ends up, but you know, it was, I was I was glad to see that dichotomy because not every student's the same, and and some people um, can embrace change, and and some people love change and and love to see themselves grow, and and others just want everything to stay status quo, and that's kind of where Ibra was at that moment was, you know, what was wrong with the beef? Why, why do we have to change this? So um, interesting, interesting dy- dy- dynamic between the two of them. For sure. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of convinced here that Uncle Jimmy's in the mob. There, there, we, we don't know exactly what his profession is, but I, I, I'm pretty sure He's he's a he's a made man somewhere because he gets things moving right. He he gets the liquor license, you know, in what seems like a few minutes after Suge mentions it to him, and you know he he gets things. He gets Taylor Swift tickets that are impossible to get for uh, for uh, Richie that we'll see later. What do you what do you think of Uncle Jimmy? A little mysterious. What do you think his connection is with with the city? Uh, I mean, that's, that's possible. I mean, in, in Chicago, you never know, but I, I think that, um, you know, I think that a lot of re- restaurant investor relationships have that where you have that person that's like, okay, well, I don't know where the money's coming from, but okay, it's here. I'm not going to complain. And ultimately we talked about that before. You need that person to keep things moving. Like, you know, we're talking about permits and delays. You need that person that's going to go, Hey buddy, do your damn job. You know, let's go, you know, snap to it, you know? And that's what, that's what what Jimmy's doing for them. So you you definitely need that that person. That's a that's a good uh, person in your corner. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Just don't ask questions. Exactly. <laughs> don't, ask, don't ask too many questions, and, yep. and everything's gonna be fine. Even Sid was like, "What's that? Oh, liquor license." Well, that seems sketch. <laughs> so I thought it was really hilarious that uh, that we kind of don't know a whole lot about Uncle Jimmy's background. Just kind of like you know, he he gets things done, and that's what you need in a in a restaurant partnership. So the the Scene shifts a little bit, and we see Carmi and Claire uh, taking a ride to to mail off the the liquor license, and and you kind of see them talking and and getting to know each other again, and you start seeing some glimpses of of hope with Carmi, especially when they're parked and they're sitting and they're talking, and and you see glimmers of hope within Carmi. He's he's got that broken smile a little bit, that easy back and forth banner. Um, what do you think of this scene in terms of how? how Carmi is, is changing in this moment, how Claire is making him somewhat of a different person. I think that's what it is. He's, he's finally being a human being and he doesn't know it, you know, because he's been a robot for so long. And and obviously, you know, we touch on his family in the next episode, but, you know, I think he's, he is a product of his family and his work environment and he doesn't know anything else. So, you know, he basically is, you know, he's he's taking a break from the restaurant, even though he shouldn't be. So I, I don't know if he feels guilt. But you, while Sydney is doing all these things, you know, picking out the plates and, and napkins and he's he's off, you know, mailing a letter for four hours. But, you know, he. Uh, you know, he's finally becoming a, a human being and he's he, 
I don't know if he's okay with it, but he's he's definitely looking to uh you know to see what else is out there right now until he goes back to the beef or to the to the bear I should say. Yeah, and and he invites uh, Claire invites him to a party and he says I've never been to a party before. Which at first I was like, how have you not ever been to a party? And then he kind of break down his timeline. He's like, no, I get it now. He's dedicated his life to working at all these different restaurants. So, uh, and bettering him himself and dedicating himself to that craft. The, the funny part of, about it though, was when we get to the party, I was watching this with my wife and I turned to her and I was like, how old do you think these people are? <laughs> I said, they're, I mean, you're looking at, you know, maybe mid thirties, but this party looked like something a teenager would throw when their parents were out of town for the weekend. Yeah. What, what'd you think of that whole party scene? I don't know. I mean, I've I've seen some older some people that are you know in their late twenties and thirties that have those parties still kind of holding on to the glory years. I mean, I think that's kind of what it was. It, it may have been like oh they're in the they're in the Chicago suburbs and they're you know they're still uh, holding on to the high school glory years. That's what it looked like to me. <laughs> Especially that one guy that got arrested at the end. You arrested yeah. me for having fun. I was like, oh yeah, you peaked in high school, brother. So <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, this party was 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 interesting, but it it did it it did bring an interesting thing because he's very introverted, right? And uh, him going out to the party and and kind of loosening up a little bit, you're starting to see this new calm kind of come forth. And uh, after the party, they. Uh, Carmi says, hey, you want to go see the restaurant? And Claire's like, sure. So they come back to the restaurant. The moment he opens the door, it's like he snaps back because there's chaos going on in the in the kitchen again. Uh, you know, they find out that the AC is out because of Amperage. So Richie, again, Richie trying to find his purpose, doesn't know where he's trying to, to fit in, slots himself into places where maybe he shouldn't, tries to steal electricity from the neighbor, blows out the fuse. Everybody's arguing and, and, and Carmi's kind of like right back in it. And that scene was really interesting to me because it showed this real clear dividing line between uh what claire represents and what the bear represents right because claire represents uh, uh hope and happiness and and possible peace in his life and the restaurant just represents represents chaos and just anarchy um what did you think of that last scene there i mean it's kind of it's eerie for me because the the this episode and the next episode obviously we'll touch on but you know, I see a lot of parallels to my life in the sense that I, I always looked for relationships outside of the restaurant industry because I, I kind of wanted to have something that wasn't that all the time because, you know, you, there are people that like to date or, or, you know, have relationships inside the industry. But to me, like I needed to be away from it, you know, at least for one day a week, even if it was that, you know, and, and he's kind of seeing that, you know, he's taking this little, you know, respite from the restaurant. And then when he gets back to it, he's like, oh, wow, I'm, you know, it's. I, I can't really take a break anymore. This is my life and I have to be a part of it. But I think he really enjoys that thrill of like being with somebody that's has nothing to do with it, you know, has, has no, you know, she cares about what he does, but she doesn't like, she, she doesn't value it the way he does. She, she, she values his, the actual person and the, his actual happiness as opposed to what he values, which is, you know, the success of being a chef in a restaurant. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we get to Fishes, episode six, which is written by Joanna Callow and Christopher Storr. It's also directed by Christopher Storr. Um, Io Itabiri actually co-produced this particular episode. This was just a tour de force of a lot of guest stars and a lot of heavy acting. And it's the longest episode. It's about an hour, a little over an hour long. And on first watch, I, I I didn't make it through the first time. I had to I had to stop and take a breath because it was just 
so much going on and um it's so let's get into it so <laughs> it's a flashback episode takes place about five years before the bear opens during a family christmas dinner i had a hard time keeping kind of the family tree straight so i want to introduce you to the who the guest stars were how, their relation to carmine and everybody else so um you have john bernthal making a return appearance as mikey uh he's Carmen Sugar's brother, Richie's best friend. Uh, Jillian Jacobs stars or uh, guest stars as Tiff, which we never seen in episode or season one. We only heard voice on a phone, but that voice on the phone is actually the guest star, Jillian Jacobs. Um, so that's this is Richie's ex-wife, which in the flashback is his then wife. Uh, and this, like I said, first time we see her on screen. Bob Odenkirk walks into the scene. I'm like, oh my god, it's Bob freaking Odenkirk. He plays Uncle Lee, and I don't think he's anybody's real uncle, uh, but he's somehow attached himself to the family. I do believe that him and Donna had some sort of thing going on in the past, and he just never you know, stopped coming around. Sarah Paulson and John Mulaney, also guest stars as Custard Michelle and Stevie. John Mulaney, I thought, did great. Sarah Paulson was great. Um, they're together. And then you have the, the big ones. You have Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays Carm's mom, Donna. Oliver Platt, returning guest stars, Uncle Jimmy. And uh, Ricky Staffieri is Theodore Fack, Neil Fack's brother. So, whew, whole lot going on. Let's let's run through uh, some of the different, different performances. Uh, first off, what was your initial reaction after watching that episode? I did not watch episode seven after watching six. I stopped at six. And I just needed to absorb it and let it wash over me. What what was your initial reaction after watching six? Well, without getting too much into my family, that I mean, I had this, I had to kind of like stop and go, oh wow, you know, that's kind of what I I'm used to. Um, I called my sister right after I watched it because it's like so a lot of that stuff is 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 like wow, I'm I'm, I'm looking in a in a mirror because you know, not not to the not to the point of like you know Jamie Lee Curtis's you know that frenetic energy, but there was a lot of a lot of parallels, you know, big Italian family, you know, they're screaming and yelling. There's, there's a lot of things that, uh, I don't know what the norm is for dinner. I know that there's things that happen in our house that, you know, people are yelling and screaming and, and, you know, it's, it's always something. So family drama, I guess, but I definitely looked at that. I go, you know, that was a, that was an interesting, uh, look into myself. (laughs) Yeah. And, and every, I think probably almost every family, every person watching this can relate to this episode in one way or the other Uh, maybe not the entire family but they can pick out family members in their own uh family that's like oh my gosh this is just this is just like uncle lee who's just abrasive and rude or this is just like sarah paulson john mulaney that you know left the family and think they're better than everybody else or or whatever the case is or you know oh my gosh jamie lee curtis is, is my mom who struggled with you know alcohol and and alcohol addiction and maybe some mental health issues or or whatever the case is and after I watched this the first time and, and a little bit the second time, I, I equated this to, you know, with restaurants, because the biggest compliment I think you can give a chef is this food reminded me of my childhood. And I think this is why this episode is so critically acclaimed out of all of them is because it reminds people of their family in one way or the other. Uh, and I just thought it was so remarkable, one, to get all of these co-stars. It was like watching a, a one act play. And all of these co-stars or all these guest stars that are just heavy hitters, heavy, heavy hitters, um, just throwing heat all through this, all through this episode. Um, Just it it, it was emotionally and mentally draining 
to watch uh, at the end of it. Uh, there, there are some, again, there are some places where you can breathe. Um, we see Richie and Tiff. Tiff is pregnant with, with their daughter, Ava, that we met earlier in, in the season. Um, but they're together. And, and we find out here that he's been trying to get out of working at the Bear for years um, because he knew it wasn't going to go anywhere. And, and uh, Tiff wanted a better life for themselves with a bigger house and a better school for their kid. And um, it, it was just that little moment to breathe. And then another moment to breathe where uh, Carmi gives um, Mikey that little gift of, of the bear, the sketch of the bear restaurant and uh, Mikey realizing he can't fulfill that wish for Carmi. Just, just so many things going on in this, in, in this particular episode, what were some scenes that really stuck out to you? Uh, for one, when they're all outside smoking, because that's something that in a, in a crazy family, like everyone goes outside and like, I need a break, especially everyone under the age of uh, 40, like we're, we're going outside for a minute because it, it just, it just felt uncomfortable. And sometimes family gatherings can feel uncomfortable. And that's what they did a great job of capturing that. It was, it was like the episode in the, um, in the first season with the, the ticket printer, you know, with the, when they're, it, it felt the same way. It felt like I got to get out of here. I got to get out of this damn house. And, and that's what, you know, that's what it felt like to me. It was just, it was eerily similar to, to things I've experienced. Um, you know, we Italian families love hard. I'm sure all this is all, all cultures, but we love hard, but we also fight. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if somebody has got a gripe or somebody's upset, it's, it carries over to the whole house and it's just a lot of craziness. So, uh, I, I think that they did a great job capturing that. Um, you could, you could definitely see in Carmi the most, how uncomfortable he was. He was like, Oh my God. But, you know, you could also say that that's what shapes your, you know, that family part of it shapes a lot of what, why we do what we do in terms of cooking. So, you know, you, you can make an argument for for a positive of it, too. So, yeah. And I think another thing that um, families and people watching the show can identify is that every family has reunions where it's just one insult disguised as a compliment away from blowing up. Right. Yep. And, yep. and, it, and that's kind of what happens here a little bit. They all warn sugar. Don't ask mom if she's okay. Don't do it. And we kind of see her doing that through the whole episode, almost you know, asking mom if she's okay. And then that one scene where sugar, you know, they drop some, or uh, drops a glass, sugar's cleaning it up. And then, Jamie Lee Curtis just flips and just goes into it on sugar and, and sugar's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm here. And, and one thing I was interesting ab uh, about Donna uh, is that she, everybody's wanting to go in and help. She keeps shooing them away, but in the same breath, she's also like, nobody ever wants to help me. Nobody ever wants to do anything for me where the family is actually wanting to do stuff and she won't let them. It's almost like she doesn't know how to, accept love from from people she's being, a, she's being a martyr which is something that like i've always had to like i've had to deal with in my family where somebody is like you know they they want you to feel like they're doing all the work but they don't want they don't want to accept your help and it's like okay well what, what do you want me to do like I'm, I'm trying to help you um we all we're all here to help you all the kids are home everyone's here you know what can we do to make it better and it's you know i, I think they they want to show that matriarch as the you know, uh, like I said, as a martyr, every I I have to do everything. I did everything for you as a kid. Um, you know, the you 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 need to show more love to me. I'm your mother. <laughs> you know, that's what it was. Yeah, the, the probably the the most intense scene uh, that I was watching through this that really kind of got me was 
the interaction between Lee and Mikey, Bob Odenkirk and John Bernthal, just the going forks. back and forth. Yeah, throwing forks at each other. One, it was funny, but but not. I mean, I, we're, we're all kind of like the family sitting around the table, uncomfortably laughing at what's happening in front of us, right? So the first time it's funny. The second time it's still funny, but a little weird. And then the third time is threatening. And just the way uh, Lee, Uncle Lee, is breaking down Mikey and and almost like emasculating him through this entire episode. Like Mikey's telling a story and 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 Mikey's that kind of charismatic character where you kind of don't care that he tells the same story over and over. It's so entertaining and you laugh and you know you're spending time with each other. But Lee's like, look, you told the story a billion times and at the end this happens and and Mikey's like, well, thanks and you know. N- n- everybody's just kind of uncomfortable with this interaction between the two of them. And then there's throwing forks at him or he's throwing forks at him. And then <laughs> Lee just completely cuts him down and says, you're nothing. You're nobody. You're a loser. You know, you, all you do is grift people. And after watching that scene, especially the, the real extreme close-ups of, of Lee and Mikey, as they're going back and forth in this exchange, you, you almost are like, okay, I get why Mikey did what he did. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately taking his own life is because Lee just drove him into the ground. I was like, Lee, Lee, let off, man. Like, what is your deal? Um, what did you think of the interactions between Lee and, and Mikey there? I mean, I think that just shows everything coming to a head. I mean, there was something, you know, that was a necessary scene, like you said, to show that he, you know, he was a tortured individual and, you know, having this person sit there and tell him he's a loser and he's not going to do anything with his life. And, you know, those kind of things definitely, uh, you know, it kind of paints the picture of the bear and 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 the or the beef, I should say, and 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 how that restaurant was, you know, in disrepair and things weren't going well. This wasn't a highly motivated individual. I mean, you know, based off of the things he was saying about him. So. Yeah, and Lee calls him out on his substance abuse, and just it's really tears him a new one. And and by the end of it, I was like, if I was Mike, I'd have thrown that third knife too. I, I mean, because I, I I couldn't stand it. And I was like, man, this is just, it's no wonder. It's no wonder Mikey devolved um, and, and was taking drugs. He had to numb himself to all of that. So very intense scene there. Uh, but earlier we see Pete and we also realize why everybody hates Pete now, because it's season one. You're like, why is everybody kind of like, you know, Pete's kind of an odd duck in the family. He just wants to be part of the family, and he's he's not like Rich. He's not like Mikey or Carm. He's, but he's married to Sugar, so he's part of the family. But why is everybody kind of like, you know, knocking on him? He brings Tuta Casserole to the Feast of Seven Fishes. <laughs> he brings an eighth fish to the Feast of Seven Fishes. And, and bless his heart, his heart was in the right place. Like, I didn't want to come empty-handed. I just thought that was hilarious. And I, and I said, man, can you imagine... For, and this is five years later. He's still just like ostracized by the family because of that one action. It's not even that it's the eighth one, because when we do it, like I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of it for my family and we can get up to 12 or 15 fishes. It's the fact that it's tuna casserole and it has no business being anywhere on the table. It's like, that is terrible. And, and I mean, that's fine for like Monday night after school, but that's not, that's not for that. It's supposed to be a feast. It's supposed to be something like, you know, that's, you know, a little more extravagant, a little more traditional, and that's definitely not traditional. So, 
Yeah, the tuna casserole, and 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 uh, this is when Suge was uh, just got blasted by Donna, and she's like, "Oh, I'm so glad to see you!" And like, what the hell are you doing? And bringing the tuna casserole, chucks it outside. Uh, and speaking of Abby Elliott, who plays Sarah, I mean, how great was she in this episode? I mean, she uh, to me with with Donna and her, um, Sarah was a real MVP in this episode. They they did didn't do a whole lot with her in season one, but you see where she comes from in season two. And this explains a whole lot. And again, it's like her husband bringing the tuna casserole and kind of being known for that for, for the rest of his life. Abby's nickname of sugar is the same way. She messed up one dinner where she put a cup of sugar instead of a cup of salt. And then her nickname for evermore is sugar. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's this family just does not let go of things. Uh, but how great was, was Abby Elliott in, in this episode? Oh, she was great. I think she, uh, you know, I, I think all like every piece fit in this puzzle. I think every member of this family had a purpose. And, and I, that's what made it so exciting to watch is that, uh, you know, they all brought their little, you know, like I said, their little piece to it, which which made it, you know, which made it more exciting. I, I, you definitely needed to have more backstory for everyone. And that, that was definitely a necessary one. Yeah. And then we get to uh, everybody's finally at the table and the dinner looks great, which I thought was hilarious because the dinner looks really good. But you see how crazy it was in the kitchen, like see Donna buttering bread with her bare hands. I'm like, there's no way it went from that to that uh, to to looking looking delicious to looking from a disaster just a moment ago. But they're all sitting at the table. Uh, sitting at the table and and John Mulaney gives grace and I was watching him give this little speech. I'm like, you know, John Mulaney's funny. He's in a lot of uh, comedic movies and comedic roles. I didn't know he had that kind of dramatic performance in him. I I, I honestly didn't. I just thought he was going to be typecast as, as the nerdy comedic guy and everything he plays, but he, he really did well in this episode in that, um, in that little grace speech that he gave was just so heartwarming and, and such a bomb over what the episode was up until that point. Um, so what did you, you think of that uh, little performance by John Mulaney there? Yeah, he was great. And, you know, it, it, the old, you know, everyone talks about how comedians have, you know, have the, have the dramatic touch too. So I think he definitely proved that. You can definitely, uh, you can hear that from his, you know, his speech that he, he took the role serious and that they, they gave him something different, which was nice because, as much as comic relief is needed in a show like this, it really wasn't the uh, the point for comedy at that, you know, at the dinner. So it yeah. was good to see. Yeah, it was definitely good to see. So it's immediately undermined, though, by the drama at the end where, um, you know, Sugar makes the fatal mistake of asking Donna if she's OK and Donna loses it at the table. And then Lee and Mike, uh, Lee and Mikey get back into it and, and start fighting again. And it's kind of all ruined all over again. And there was an improvised scene. I was doing some reading about this uh, after I watched the episode where John Bernthal kind of flips the table a little bit. Um, that was improvised. That was not in the script. That was not planned. Um, he actually went to uh, Chris Storer and goes, hey, boss, I'm going to flip the table. And Chris Storer is like, you do you, John. <laughs> and he did. And it really punctuated. Like, I kind of was startled a little bit when he did that. I was like, whoa. And it really hit home the the gravity and the seriousness of, of what was going on. Um, so we see Donna kind of lose it and she walks out. And then that's when Lee was kind of like, okay, that happened. Everybody calmed down and we knew that was going to happen. Now we can all breathe. And that's when Mikey and Lee get back into it and, and, and Mikey flips the table. And then at the end drives the car through the house, you know, Donna has that mental breakdown and drives the car through the house. 
And this episode just explains so much. Like this could have been the pilot episode of season one, and we would have understand understood everything about these characters' motivations and understood everything about why they are the way they are. But I thought having it here in season two was was brilliant. Um, you know, we just we just kind of thought, okay, these are just some weird eclectic set of people, but no, they are a product of their of their environment and a product of their upbringing. Um, so, what other scenes in in this episode kind of uh, stood out to you that that made you go, man, that's that's a lot. <laughs> I just thought that, you know, the, anything that, anything in the kitchen, like you, you referred to, uh, to Jamie Lee Curtis a little bit with the, uh, you know, get, get that out of the oven, get that out of the microwave, get that out of here. Just a lot of, uh, you know, the kitchen was, was frenetic and it was just craziness. And I think that's what, you know, what was, it, it kind of mirrored what, you know, what he ultimately, he, he goes, he knows later on in life when he's working in a restaurant. But it's just a different energy. It's a, you know, it's a crazy family energy. But you could just see the whole, the whole uncomfortability of everything is what made it hard to watch. Just seeing everybody just not know how to handle it. Like, what are we going to do? Mom's crazy right now. So, yeah. And it's like almost when that timer went off, every time that buzzer timer went off, it's like she flipped personalities. And it was just, you hear that buzzer go off and you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? Who's she going to yell at next? And, just a lot of stuff going on and, but was so well acted and was so, um, I, I mean, you would not, I, I could not have thought of a better cast to put in this and just be the names that they were able to get on a second season of an episode is insane. And from what I've read, all of the guest stars are fans of the show and wanted to be a part of it. And and that's how they were able to get, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, to act, for scale on, on this episode and um, Bob Odenkirk and, and everybody that they had, it was just a, a crazy amount of, of guest stars that I'm sure there's going to be Emmy nominations for, for guest stars on this one. Um, the one thing that's, that's really interesting is we find out later on about Carmi's aversion to cannolis and we see why at the, at the end of it, you see that kind of pull out shot of the fork, the last fork that Mikey threw into the cannoli and you understand why Carmi now, cooks the way he does he he cooks to maintain a level of control and, and you hear i hear this about chefs right chefs are control freaks and, and you kind of have to be to run a kitchen and this is exactly why because with carmy's life and his upbringing he had no control over anything his family the way his family was um so cooking for him was a way to exert control over something because no because he had no control over anything else um so what did you think of these these three episodes here I think these are the three. This is kind of the, you know, no pun intended, the kind of the beef, either the beef in the middle of the sandwich here. You need those things to, you know, to kind of bring it all together. You know, it's almost like you have a little bit of of calmness with Copenhagen. You have, you know, you have the in-between with the restaurant. So you still have the status of the restaurant in between that. And then, you know, right before they're getting ready to open the restaurant, you have the craziness of the backstory of the family. So I think they were definitely they were perfectly placed in my opinion. I, I think it sets up well for, you know, the rest of the season. So you, you kind of know that, you know, you know a lot more about everybody. I think everyone's pretty much covered. Um, you get a little more into Sydney later on, but I think everyone's kind of covered in terms of their, uh, their background. Yeah. I'm so. kind of looking at the way they laid these episodes out is almost like coursing a meal. Um, like the first three episodes were, were kind of your appetizer. And then these three episodes were for sure, like the main course. I mean, this was, 
you learn a lot about Carmi, you learn a lot about Richie, you learn a lot about every all the main characters in the show, and this is your main course, the meat of the like what you're saying, the meat of the of the uh, the course. And then as we move forward, you know, I think you have your kind of your palate cleansers and your dessert later on. Um, but yeah, and and one thing that when you have a multi-course meal, right, you have that through line of what connects them all together. And what I'm seeing is like these forks play a huge role in this entire season like these forks mean something and it and nothing is one thing i'm liking is nothing is um coincidental act or accidental they they place things in certain areas um to tie them all together and to foreshadow things and to say hey you pay attention to this. this is gonna this is gonna come up later just a master class in storytelling and and um i can see why so many people are in love with this uh, with this show and and why a lot of people uh, are are talking about it and and it's getting nominated for everything. So uh, that's episodes four through six. Uh, we will uh, do the next uh, three in in about a week or so. And uh, and and I gotta say, even though season six is probably the best episode of the season, episode seven is my favorite. I, I think I watched episode seven like four or five times. Uh, because it's it's just probably my favorite episode. Like, like I said, it was a palate cleanser to episode six for sure. Uh, but we're going to talk more about that uh, next next time. So stay tuned. Make sure you follow the podcast player of your choice and and uh, hit the follow and like buttons on those so you'll know when this is going to drop. Uh, Damien, what's what's going on with you with uh, Vuka Street Food? Any any big things people need to know about this week? No, I've got a Busy week. We'll be all over town. Uh, we're going to do some uh, some new specials this week. So, uh, you know, knock it to you this Friday. A lot of, a lot of busyness. So we'll come out and see us. Come get some food. Yeah, so. follow them on uh, social. Uh, where, where can they find you on socials again? It's uh, at Vuka Jacks on Facebook and Instagram and then uh, VukaStreetFood.com. So. Yep. And you can check out their schedule there every single week. So thank you for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>